Good morning, everybody. All right, I want to make sure everybody's awake this morning. I know you had a lot of tryptophan over the week, so is all that tryptophan out of your system by now? Can I hear you say, good morning, Tim? Amen to that. All right. And, and I thought it was very nice of everybody to celebrate my birthday last Thursday. You know, happened to be another holiday going on, but it was nice that everybody had some food and were thankful for me. Isn't that nice? It was nice. Um, but I don't want you falling asleep during the sermon today because there's some things God wants you to hear, I believe. And I want to ask you a question as we start. What makes for a full life. Now, a lot of people might have a lot of different answers depending on their point of view. Some might say having all the comforts that material possessions can provide. You know, maybe that dream house or that dream job or that dream car. Maybe some people would say that dream boat but that could mean different things to different people, right? See, young people don't even know what dream boat means, right? Oh, are you talking about a boat? No, that's the way the old people used to talk about the boyfriend or girlfriend, right? Um, but others might respond uh, that going through life, there would be no major problems, no financial struggles, no medical problems, or Having a great family with healthy children could be our reply. What is it you think you would say? Now, I want to say something to you, and I hope you understand what I'm saying. The truth is that Jesus wants you to experience the fullness of life. He wants to give you life, and he wants you to live that life to the full. The problem is that if we think those things that I mentioned in that list are what really are the ingredients to a full life, we might end up disappointed and feel like our life is empty. Did you know that even without all those things that I mentioned, you can experience the full life Jesus promised? Even if things don't go exactly the way you would like them to go, you, you can feel full in your spirit. I'm reminded of what Jesus said in John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. You know who the thief is, right? He's talking about Satan. And he says he's coming and the only purpose he's coming for is to destroy you and your family. That's what he wants to do. However, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You see, Jesus' desire is that we have a full life. And I want to say to you that that doesn't mean a life filled with wealth and even health. It doesn't mean a life where I get everything I want when I want it. But it does mean a full life, having peace with God. Well, you know, it would be foolish of us to think that we could make it through life without any hardships, 
How many of you have experienced hardships in life? Raise, raise your hand if you've had any hardships. If, if you're alive, if you're breathing, you're going to have some hardships. So no human being gets through life without any hardships. It's foolishness to think that. The full life comes as we recognize that God is with us through those hardships. And gratitude springs from that realization. And we can experience the peace of God that is beyond the comprehension of those who have no faith. So the big idea today is this. Gratitude is an essential ingredient in our journey to the full life Jesus has promised. Let's pray. Father, fill our hearts with gratitude for all that you have done, for all that you are doing, and all that you will do in and through our lives. Father, help us to recognize that showing our gratitude for you is our way of revealing our faith in you. Help us to be set apart from this ungrateful world where most folks are selfish and faithless. May we be a part of the remnant who gives you the glory and the honor for all things. And even as we struggle through life, may we see the blessings through the veil of the hurt and the pain. May we experience your peace that passes all understanding. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now there's a story in the Gospel of Luke about a time that Jesus healed some people and the response that Jesus got is a little surprising. It causes us to think about our own gratitude. So we're going to begin reading in Luke 17, verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Now, as I read through that story, and it's a very familiar story to most of us who have been in the church a long time, but there are some important observations I think we need to make about this story. So if you want to get your uh, outline, just jot some of these things down. First of all, consider the hopeless plight these men found themselves in. Leprosy was a devastating disease. Now, leprosy in the Bible is not the same thing we call leprosy in today's world. 
This was a very infectious disease. It was incurable, barring an act of God. Added to that was the stigma it brought to the person who was suffering. Because it was often believed that the person was suffering because they were being punished by God for some sin. Lepers were banished from their communities and they had to live in isolation. Many times finding each other and forming a little community together because they couldn't be with healthy people. There were legal restrictions preventing lepers from coming close to a healthy person. They probably, this probably explains why in our story, the lepers stood at a distance when they called out to Jesus. If a healthy person inadvertently was getting too close, the leper was obliged to yell out, unclean, unclean, so that the healthy person would stay away. And so added to the physical pain and the discomfort was the humiliation and the total loss of hope for the leper. Now also, we need to recognize that leprosy created an unusual bond. There were nine Jews and one Samaritan in the story. Now why would this be an unusual bond or an unusual situation? Now you know if you've been going to church very long and have studied a little bit that there was no good feelings between Samaritans and Jews. There was prejudice that each group felt towards the other. So given normal circumstances, no Jew or Samaritan would be caught dead associating with or socializing with the other group. But this disease forced these 10 to come together and accept people into their group that they normally might not accept. They were all outcasts, and now they had something in common, and it created this unusual bond. You know, it's a shame that uh, the only reason these 10 stayed together was because of an illness. It seems that immediately after they were healed, they went their separate ways. Now, here's another thing to notice before we get into the points of our message. The healing of the lepers was unusual compared to the healings that Jesus did with other people. Jesus did not heal them right away. Could Jesus have healed them right away? Could Jesus just have said the words, be healed, and they would have been healed? I believe so. I believe Jesus has all authority and all power to do whatever he decides to do and he can heal people immediately if he so chooses. So what did he do? He sent them to the priests. And we read in the text that as they were on their way to see the priests, they were healed or cleansed. Now, from what we know about Jesus, again, he could have healed immediately. And again, I think most of the time he did that. 
But in this case, why would he have sent them to the priests? Now remember that there were laws concerning ceremonial cleansing for people who were considered unclean. There were very specific things an unclean person had to do in order to be welcomed back into the community. In Leviticus 14, beginning in verse 8, we read, The person to be cleansed must wash their clothes, shave off their hair, and bathe with water. Then they will be ceremonially clean. And after this, they may come into the camp, but they must stay outside their tent for seven days. And on the seventh day, they must shave off all their hair. They must shave their head, their beard, their eyebrows, and the rest of their hair. They must wash their clothes and bathe themselves with water, and they will be clean. And on the eighth day, they must take two male lambs and one ewe lamb, a year old, each without defect, along with three-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with olive oil for a grain offering and one log of oil. The priest who pronounces them clean shall present both the one to be cleansed and their offerings before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So there were some specific guidelines that had to be followed for people to be recognized as clean. They had to receive the pronouncement of the priest that they were clean. So even if Jesus had healed them right away in his presence, they would have, you know, still had to go get this uh, acceptance from the priest. This is probably why Jesus sent them to the priest. Now, this is part conjecture because Jesus never explains why he sent them to the priest. All we know is that's what he did. Now, there's some thought that the Samaritan would, have gone, would not have gone to a Jewish priest because a Jewish priest wouldn't have accepted him. He probably would have gone to a Samaritan priest. Now, finally, the response of the healing is surprising. Out of the 10 who were healed, how many came back? One. Even Jesus acted a little surprised. Were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Now, what was surprising the most? That only one out of ten came back to thank Jesus or that the one who did come back to thank Jesus was a Samaritan. What's the most surprising? I don't know. Both of them probably. Think about who this guy was. A foreigner, a Samaritan. And the the text points this out for a reason. You would have thought it would have been the Jews who would have responded in giving thanks to God before the Samaritan. Jesus actually wondered aloud why the others had not done the same. And the answer is found, once again, uh, as we think about uh, a person's accepting of God's grace. There was only one leper who fully received God's grace and offered it back with thanksgiving and praise. Only one accepted the free gift of God and freely offered back the same. 
And I would suggest several things about this story that support our big idea that gratitude is an essential ingredient on the journey to a full life that's promised by Jesus. And the first thing is this, gratitude springs from God moving in our lives. In our story, Jesus heard these men, he saw them, he had compassion for them, He could have walked by like probably most people did. He could have ignored them. He could have been like most people who just wanted these men to stay away because they were unclean. And after all, didn't they deserve this illness? This was the thought of the day. If they were sick, it must be God's wrath being poured out on them. But that was not and may I add, never was Jesus' response when people were hurting. His response to move in their lives uh, so that they could have a full life. Have you noticed that when you are in a hopeless situation and someone helps you out, you have a tremendous amount of gratitude towards that person? Have any of you ever experienced that? Have any of you ever been in a situation that you thought was hopeless and someone reached out to you to help you? I've had many people in my life who have helped me in so many different ways that I am eternally grateful for. Now, without getting into specifics, years ago, I was in a very difficult situation. I got in a situation because I was trying to help someone but it backfired. Anybody ever had that happen (laughs) where you're trying to help somebody, but it sort of backfired on you? And I was about to experience what at the time seemed like certain financial ruin. I didn't know what to do. I went to a family that I knew and I respected because I knew that they were very wise in their financial dealings, and I went to them to ask for advice. What did they think I should do? And they not only gave me advice, but they loaned me the money with the expectation that I would pay it back over time with no interest. Their generosity and their advice helped me to stay out of the dark hole that I felt myself sliding into. And at the time, my children were young, and and I knew that this was going to affect our future. And so, Doug and Barbara Parker will always have my deepest gratitude for helping me in a desperate time of need. And their family just exhibits that same kind of care and love for other people. And I miss Doug terribly. Um, He will always be special to me. Now, at the time, uh, they were the only ones that I could think of to go and get this help. I'm sure there were other people that could have, but I will never forget that. You know, when I think about what Jesus has done for me, that same heart maybe even more of gratitude springs forth. Who could have done for me what Jesus has done for me? Think about that in your own life. Who has given their life 
for me? Who sacrificed life for me? He has blessed my life with the best mother a person could ever ask for. A wonderful family. And even though we didn't have the financially rich life growing up, I mean, I used to think gizzards and rice was a delicacy, you know. <laughs> Coming home from Sunday after church, we'd have gizzards and rice and go watch a John Wayne movie. I thought that was heaven right there, right? Who would know that gizzards and rice was a cheap meal because that's all we could afford? And you know, my mom would often invite the preacher home to eat with us. We had nothing, and yet that's what she did. You know, God made us feel rich. And he loved me. I'm a sinner. I'm not worthy to even stand up in front of anybody and say anything about God. I'm going to tell you that. He gave himself up on a cross to save me, a sinner. And then he sent people to tell me about it. Think about that. Has anybody ever come to you? And told you about Jesus? Don't you think it wasn't the Spirit of God that led him there? He invited me to be saved from my sins. And he welcomed me into his spiritual family, even though I don't deserve it. And he blessed me, a person with many faults and weaknesses, to preach and serve in different ministries in my life and eventually bringing me here. And in January, it'll be 24 years since we planted Christ Church. And now, as I'm closer to the end than the beginning, he reminds me every day of the full life he has given me. He has given me friends like you who will be there for me no matter what. And he has given me brothers and sisters who will pray on my behalf like many of you did when I was having some issues with my eyes. He has helped me become associated with some of the finest people on this planet, friends that I've met in India and Africa. Yes, God has moved in my life. And if I just open my eyes and ears, I can see it, and it moves me to gratitude. In Colossians 3.16, we read, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with what? Gratitude in your hearts. I hope and pray as we sing, we don't just sit there like a bump on a log. We should be singing with gratitude in our hearts. I don't sing because I want people to hear my voice or because I'm gifted or talented. I sing because I can't help but sing of His glory and praise for all He has done for me. And even when I can't sing out loud because of my throat, my heart sings out with praise. How about you? Is your response to God's kindness in your life to ignore it, 
to pass by it or to offer him praise? Would you just walk away from him like 90% of those whom he has touched? Or will you draw near to him and fall at his feet like that one Samaritan who realized the great gift he had received? The second thing I want to mention to you today is that gratitude is an extension of our belief in Jesus. Obviously, these lepers believed something about Jesus or they wouldn't have bothered themselves to call out to him. Remember what they said, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Why would they be waiting there in the village or maybe on the outskirts of the village? They must have known Jesus was coming. Word would have spread to them somehow that Jesus, and they must have known something about Jesus. So, Why were they there? They believed that Jesus could help them. They asked him to have pity on them and to show them compassion. So friends, obviously the lepers obeyed Jesus because they believed him. When he told them to go to the priest, they didn't say, why don't you heal us now? They just did what they were told to do. And so we could say that act of going in and of itself sprang from their belief that Jesus could and would heal them. Why would they do what he said unless they had some amount of belief? We see that the lepers fully believed that they were healed. They see their healing. They feel their healing. They believe they are healed and they go and the nine, as far as we know, went on to the priests. But instead of coming back to Jesus to thank him, the only one that did was the Samaritan. One leper got it. He turns back. He falls on his knees. He confesses his belief in Jesus through thanksgiving and praise, and he shows Jesus that he has received God's grace. This leper not only believed that he was healed and received the healing, but by his actions, we read that he believes in whom he has been healed. His thanksgiving for his healing was a confession and an affirmation of his belief in Jesus. And so when something good happens to you, what do you say to others about it? You know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I I shared with you all about my eyes and how I had taken my uh, contacts out. I had apparently ripped my corneas, okay? Very fun thing. I wouldn't suggest anybody do it. Uh, Now, I I do think people have been calling me Dr. Tim Uh, Dr. Clue is here with us. People have been asking me if I could do this surgery for them. So I would say, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's not what anybody said. No way would I do that. But, um, you know, I mentioned that uh, a friend, Jose Apodaca, came by and prayed with me. And uh, until that time, until he came to pray, I couldn't even open my eyes. But I will say that when he prayed for me, I was able to open my eyes for the first time. And even though I, I wasn't like completely healed at that moment, I felt like that was 
That was a good progress. And then Dr. Clue, um, I didn't know he was going to be here today. I'm, I was going to talk behind his back, but um, he, showed, he showed some concern for me. He told Christy he wasn't able to sleep well the night after he saw me. Now, I've had, a, I've had bad effects on people before, you know, and I hope that's not the way everybody feels when you see me. Uh, but he actually came by my apartment the next day after work. Now, he may not want me to tell people that. that this is not what he probably would normally do. But, uh, you know, do you, do you still have doctors that make house calls? Um, but, but I am so grateful for all that he has done. And, and it makes me want to tell people, I know a great eye doctor that you need to go see. Uh, I don't want to just keep that to myself. Do, do I accept their friendship and help and just move on without any acknowledgement? No, if I was a jerk, that's what I would do. Yeah. Okay, well, he did what he should have done. But my gratitude causes me to want to thank these people who have reached out and tried to help me. So let's go back to Jesus for a moment. When I recognize all the blessings in my life that Jesus has provided, I see them. I feel them. They are real. I believe. And that belief stirs within me a heart of gratitude. How about you? I really feel bad for people who don't believe. You know what I'm saying? If you don't believe in Jesus, then your life will never truly be full. It won't. And the reason I say that is because I believe that we were all created by God. And I believe that deep within our souls, every soul, there is a yearning for God. And many people seek for God in a lot of different places, in all the wrong places. But when you don't believe, you are missing out on so much that God wants to do in your life. Now, we would call unbelief atheism. If gratitude is an extension of our belief in Jesus, then ingratitude is an extension of our unbelieving heart. If I'm not willing to show any gratitude or any thanks to God for what he has done in my life, then that is revealing an unbelieving heart. And I want to suggest to you that there is something called the atheism of the heart. Now, although the passage doesn't directly state that those other nine were not made well through their faith, uh, some people believe it's implied but the nine lepers responded with their lips and one leper responded with his heart. We tend to shy away from this word atheism in today's church is like an old school word that sort of fails to resonate because the word is heavy with irony. By definition, atheism is to not believe in God, right? That, that's what we would say it means. However, to not believe in something by its nature implies you actually do believe in something. You believe in not believing. That's your faith. It's an old school theological riddle, right? Well, you, you look at me and my faith in Jesus and you mock that, but you have faith that there is no God. 
Atheism of the heart is to know of God, to actually see all that God has done, and to choose not to glorify Him as God. It is to accept all of the blessings that God has, you know, God in a way has blessed every person on the planet in many ways. His goodness in our life, but, but when we don't accept His grace, we never acknowledge that all of this came from His hand. In an atheistic heart, there is no obligation to show a response for what God has freely given. There may be a belief in a God who freely gives. There may be an acceptance of his gifts, but there's no expressive response to his gifts. And so even those of us that say we have faith, if we're not grateful for it, then we're acting just like an atheist. Do you, do you see where we're going with that? And then there is atheism of life. Few passages expound on an atheistic heart and life like this passage in Romans written to the early Roman church by the Apostle Paul. And I'm, we're going to go to Romans chapter 1 beginning in verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made uh, so that people are without excuse. So what is that saying? It's saying that God has made himself known through his creation. In verse 21, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they, they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. So here we read that there is no excuse for not recognizing the work and the wonders of God in the world and in our life. To do so is to choose an atheistic heart and to live an atheistic life. It is to receive God's mercies and refuse God the thanks. That's what it meant when it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. How did their atheistic lives mimic their atheistic hearts? They did not honor Him. They did not thank Him. They were not grateful. They chose not to receive and respond to God's grace. And therefore, the word said, they exchanged God's grace for backward lives full of sin and pain. And instead of the full life Jesus wants to offer, people accept an empty life that the world is offering. Let me finish out this thought beginning in verse 24 of Romans 1. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. And because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. 
Even the women exchanged sexual relations or natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They, became, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. And although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they do not... They they not only continue to do those very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Friends, an atheistic life trades an attitude of gratitude for the worship of self. Living a life without gratitude is to choose not to practice our faith and to become like a petri dish for sin. We choose to put ourselves on the throne of our lives. We do what we want to do rather than what God calls us to do. We have perverted the will of God. And Scripture spells these things out to us. Ego or pride, hatred or malice, looking for ways to participate in evil, envy and gluttony and sexual immorality, slander, deceit and grumbling or complaining, backbiting, having only a love for ourselves but for no one else. When we choose to live out our lives this way, we're not showing any gratitude for God, but only a selfish desire to serve our own lusts and desires. In 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4, we read, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside the myths. So friends, I would say we are there. You hear what I'm saying? Our culture is there. But don't mistake it. So was Paul's culture. And so has every culture that has been along the line of history. Ours just seems worse because we're living in it. And maybe because of the technical advances we have today. But we live in an atheistic culture. An ungrateful attitude towards God reveals an atheistic life. We know we are living a life of gratitude when the fruits of the Spirit flow freely through us. You know the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5? Love and joy and peace patience, kindness, and goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. You see, the heart of gratitude desires to follow the leading of God's Spirit. And we're so grateful to God that we want to please Him and we want to honor Him. And so I want to ask you, friends, do you have a grateful heart? 
or do you have an atheistic heart? Does your life reflect your gratitude towards God or a worship of yourself? I want you to really assess your life for a moment. Have any of the sins mentioned in that list taken root in your life? Do you regularly receive God's grace? And in return, do you practice gratitude? Does your life resemble an atheistic life or a believing heart? If you're feeling the Holy Spirit tug on your conscience today, consider what your life may look like if you added gratitude with it. Imagine if instead of spite and frustration, your life was filled with patience and joy. Imagine instead of anger over that broken relationship, you replace the pain with kindness. If you began practicing gratitude, what sin would you trade? Which fruit of the Spirit would you see as a result? Imagine your life, your relationships, your home, your mental health if you choose gratitude. Gracious gratitude is not limited by life's circumstances. In all stages of life, it's possible to choose gratitude. So friends, remember this. Gratitude is an essential ingredient on the journey to the full life that Jesus has promised. Father, we come before you with grateful hearts this morning. We are thankful for our loved ones, our families, our friends. We're thankful, Father, for the health that you provided, the provision that you provide, for the life and the memories that we have. Most of all, Father, we're thankful for Jesus, who is the author and sustainer of life and the savior of our souls. May our gratitude shine through even in the dark times. May it be evidence of our trust and faith in you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.